When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on a handkerchief follow-up, no invitation extensions, please, how to list parents of the happy couple in the wedding program, and how to tell mom she's just not pleasant anymore. For Awesome Etiquette Sustaining members, we talk about how to block personal and negative conversations at work so you can focus. Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript segment on professional communication. All that's coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. And we're back! (laughs) So good to see you guys. Oh my gosh, this was both a really fun trip away, but also like really hectic for both of us. I took the lead on the National Stationery Show, and you had, what, four different seminars that you were bouncing between over the past nine days? Yeah, something like that. Where did you go? You went first you went down to Connecticut. That was to see a good old friend who had organized a talk at the Stonington Library in Stonington, Connecticut. And it was a fun professional outing, but it was even more fun on a personal social level to see a woman who'd been a professor at Pomona College for many years. I was very, very close to and she is now living in Connecticut. Lori Cameron, hello, if you're listening to the podcast. <laughs> it was so good to see you and your family and your grandkids. It was just awesome. Thank you so much for having me. We had a couple of people from Instagram say that they saw you at that particular event, that they were attendees to that event. It was a really nice event. It was well done. And what was also sort of fun that I don't know if I told you about was there were some Cookman family there. Some. Oh family members of our Uncle Alan. And it was really neat to make that connection, sort of an extended family web came together. And they had really made an effort to get there. They had left a family reunion early to catch that talk. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. For those of you that want to be filled in, our grandmother was married and had our Uncle Alan. And unfortunately, her husband passed away in the war. And then she met and married our grandfather, Bill Post, and that's how she ended up in the Post family. And then she went on to carry the mantle after Emily. And Poppy, our grandfather, obviously adopted Alan. That's kind of the story of how we have one line of Cookmans in our family. So from there, it was off to see you at the National Stationery Show for a couple days. Which we'll talk about in just a minute. Then back to Vermont for another seminar, then down to Atlanta for a couple days with the Scheduling Institute, a really incredible training organization that we've done a few seminars with. And I so enjoy my visits down there. They're such a well-put-together organization. They're really easy to work with, and they make training feel like a really professional experience, which is so nice. (laughs) It should. It should. That's awesome. And then finally home this weekend, right? You got a weekend with the famine. Finally home. And the biggest thing for me is that was seven days without seeing Anisha, Pooja, or Aria. And that's a lot. I was really feeling it by the time it was all over. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. So you were also out and about. I was. Give me some of the deets, because I saw you in the middle, but there was a coming and a going that I missed entirely. (laughs) So we had the most wonderful opportunity to go down to the National Stationery Show and New York Now Gift Show. You might have seen a lot of posting about it on our Instagram feeds. And it was really exciting because it's where we actually got the opportunity to do our very first live version of the Awesome Etiquette podcast, which was really exciting and fun. We had a great crowd. They asked amazing questions. We did a 
show just like you hear us do each week. And then at the end of the show, we opened it up to audience stuff, which was awesome. You had themed the show around gifts and correspondence, invitations, stationary-related topics. Absolutely. I mean, everybody who is at that show is either a stationer or they own some kind of gift shop or they're calligraphers, so it made sense to really theme the content. Also, you know, we wanted to support and celebrate the stationary show that way, but it was a lot of fun. We met so many wonderful true believers in Emily Post Etiquette. We met so many folks who still had their cherished dark blue and gold-embossed copies that have been handed down from parent to child to then grandchild eventually. We had folks who really said, wow, we're so glad to know that you're still out here and that you're as an updated resource now, which was great. So we really feel like we kind of gave the world of stationery and gift shops an injection of Emily Post, and we are so glad that everyone was so receptive to us being there um, and told us their stories about their connections with Etiquette and Emily Post. And we have some folks out there who are real etiquette sticklers, and we have those who were really embracing the new traditions of etiquette and kind of the more individual style of modern manners. I was able to do a talk on CBD and gifting etiquette uh, and support higher etiquette. Both of our publishers were at the show, so we were able to work with both 10 Speed Press and HarperCollins, which was really exciting. And we're just hoping that there's going to be more more access for more of you to engage with Emily Post Etiquette because it will hopefully be in a store near you. And I'm wondering if there might be a few new listeners to Awesome Etiquette out there this week. I sure hope so. (laughs) And if you are a new listener to Awesome Etiquette, welcome. It was so good to meet you in person over the last couple of weeks, and we're glad that you were able to find the show. Well, speaking of the show, do you think we should get to some questions? We should do it. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. And on Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. On Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. Just remember to use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your social media post so that we know you want your question on the show. And sustaining members, remember to put sustaining member in your message. We'll answer your questions from a smaller pool and you'll hear them on the sustaining member site where you can also access an ads-free version of the show and all your bonus questions. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, Mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. 
Our first question is a follow-up from a recent episode where we talked about handkerchief, 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 handkerchief etiquette. You'd think we would have figured this out by <laughs> yeah, now. I know, right? All right. This question begins. Okay. I just listened to the handkerchief question. I'm going to add a follow-up question slash comment. Are you supposed to put a soiled handkerchief back in your pocket? It seems that would make your clothes dirty and then re-germ up your hands when you reach for it again, right? Hoping we get some follow-up commentary on handkerchief etiquette. Big smiley face. It would be a pleasure and a delight to go into more (laughs) detail about the handkerchief. Dan loves it so much. It's so great. So... There's a question of degrees that comes into play here. Like, how gross and nasty is it? I mean, if you really ruin your handkerchief with a blowing of the nose, I say just toss it. I mean, if it's really a a slimy, snotty mess. If we're talking about your uh, demands on the handkerchief exceeding its capabilities for absorption, then I'm letting it go. And... (laughs) I, I'm I'm saying to myself, I've got a box of these. I buy them five at a time. I'm not going to put this back into my pocket. And I'm also asking questions like, is this suit that I'm wearing a nice suit? Is <laughs> the cost of a handkerchief compared to the cost of laundering this suit an equivalence? Right, or... right. So that's my, my uh, situational thinking. Okay. My more immediate answer to the question is, if you're just blowing your nose or wiping your nose and it's not a big mess, you fold that to the inside of the handkerchief. Yep. The outside is still clean. That can go back into your pocket. I would love for us to take a moment. And we've, we've been operating a little bit on the fly lately, so we haven't had quite as much time to research this part of the question. But I'm curious if there have been any studies done on handkerchiefs and the germs that might accumulate on a handkerchief and just how clean it is when you're pulling it back out, even if you folded it the way that Dan suggested. I happen to know from my work when we did the flu etiquette campaigns with the CDC that I know germs can't live that long outside of the body. So that's something to think about. But I don't know if because of the material those germs find themselves in when they reach your handkerchief, if that preserves them somehow and then keeps them nice and germy in your pocket or not. And so I am definitely wanting us to look this up a little bit and have our own feedback. Well, let's take a big step back and talk about some general handkerchief etiquette. Okay. You want to launder them. You want a clean, fresh one every day that you use one. Most definitely. So that's going to help address some of that question of germs over time. That You don't want a week-old, long handkerchief you're pulling out of your pocket? It's crusty. The very idea is foul. So fresh, clean handkerchief is part of the style of using one well. The one other little detail that I want to mention that comes up as people think about these things. In fact, when I posted the picture, the image for the episode where this question appeared, the image that I found was of a pocket square, which is not a handkerchief. Different thing entirely. It's more of an accent piece. Absolutely. It should be coordinated with your tie. It shouldn't match your tie. Oftentimes (laughs) it's colorful. It's a material that's not necessarily the best handkerchief material. Your handkerchief is the thing in your pocket. That is something that's a little bit more usable. So here's another place where the entertainment industry has fooled us because often we see the gentleman pull the handkerchief out of the pocket square to give it, yeah, exactly, with a flourish, yes, to give to someone. And it's it's nice to know that's actually not the way it typically goes. So you don't ever put your handkerchief even to start. Probably not. And even if it's cotton, let's say you're using actual handkerchief, not a pocket square, which is often silk or something. You don't store it in that breast pocket of your suit. I wouldn't. Okay, gotcha. I mean, no rules. You got to know the rules to know when to break them. You could, but... Good point. I probably wouldn't. What else? What else? Those are the biggies. Oh, okay. Clean, fresh one that it's not your pocket square. It's your handkerchief. That's something different. Okay. And if it really gets nasty, let it go. Yep. If you offer it to someone, tell them. Okay. This is clean. This is fresh. I haven't used this. You're welcome to keep it. Those are all things to mention when you offer someone a handkerchief so that you put their mind at ease. They're not wondering to themselves, did they just use it? Was this in their pocket yesterday? So you just say, this is fresh and clean here. You can keep it. What about the fact that maybe you're not using your handkerchief to blow your nose? What if you're wiping your brow? I think about people who live in really hot, humid climates. I've definitely seen that done. Are we less concerned about germs? Does sweat have germs? I would say yes. If I'd been using a handkerchief to 
Wipe your brow, wipe exactly. your face. Yeah. I, I probably wouldn't offer it to someone and tell them it's clean and fresh. Oh, well, yeah, no, it's definitely <laughs> not clean and fresh. That would violate our honesty policy. <laughs> but there, okay, so interesting, interesting. The other thing that I used to use it for all the time was cleaning my phone. Oh, but I would be extra careful about germy. thinking of that as clean and fresh also. Once your handkerchief has been in use, you're going to think of it as something that's used. Okay, gotcha. I like the way we're thinking here. We hope, Anonymous, that this helps expand our conversation on handkerchief etiquette and that you have delightfully enjoyed it. No, not that way, George. Blow your nose gently without pressing the opening of the nostrils closed. It's lucky for George that Joan has an extra tissue to lend him. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com tech. Our next question is titled, No Invitation Extensions, Please. We have friends with whom we go out to dinner frequently. They sometimes bring along their middle-aged daughter and bratty grandson who (laughs) ruin the party. We are specific in asking if the couple is free. Is the couple proper in bringing these uninvited guests? Also, if they invite us and don't tell us other family members are coming too, is that proper? Bothered and bewildered. This is one of those tough questions and also bummer. And that's like, I feel like it is such a bummer when you're like really looking forward to a dinner out with someone and then they bring along people who just aren't that enjoyable. I think you're doing a good job by asking if the couple is free. I think you might need to be a little bit more specific. Try something like, Carol and I were wondering if you and Susan are free for dinner Saturday. If so, I'll make a reservation for four at ABC oh, Restaurant. I like that because... So we're starting to really limit it. This does not mean that they will actually abide and not bring along daughter and bratty grandson. This poor kid. I feel bad that we're calling him bratty grandson when we don't know him, but we're going to take our listeners' perspective on it. So that's one way to at least start. I think that the next step is to specifically let the other couple know that you weren't expecting their daughter and grandson to be joining and that you would like a heads up at the time when you schedule plans if they intend on adding guests for the evening. This could get really awkward if you then decide to bail out on the evening and say, "Okay, well, maybe you should all have a family dinner and we'll get together as couples another time. But you are then starting to set the boundary of what you're willing to and not do. But you could also cause a rift in the friendship. So this is not without careful consideration. On the flip side, this is a really delicate issue. Often when people are inviting you to their home, they don't have to let you know who else is going to be present. It is nice to give your guests a heads up that they won't be the only ones attending something. Like, oh, we're doing a dinner Friday night. A number of couples are coming or a number of people will be there or a lot of our family will be there. We're excited to have you, too. It's a great heads up. But technically, they don't have to do that from an etiquette perspective. Right. Am it's I a, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> and to me, it's a great reminder of why that can be a courtesy. Uh, yeah. Uh, remember our daughter? She ate with us last time. She's in town. She's looking forward to seeing you. These are the kinds of things that a host might say. And I also really appreciate the way you're thinking about the consequences that you can make whatever decision you want. You can say in response to something like that, oh, thank you so much for the invitation. We would really prefer to get together a time when we can really focus on you and whatever it is that we have in common that we want to talk about. Insert sample script here that's most appropriate to your relationship, but that you also have to be prepared to accept the consequences of that socially. And that's oftentimes the gray area that we're talking about when we're talking about etiquette. It's not a hard and fast rule that says you have to accept, you have to decline, you have to tell someone, you don't have to tell someone. It's about that host guest dance and navigating it with enough social intelligence and grace that everybody feels good. I don't think that saying no or declining an invitation necessarily has to make people feel bad. One of the things that bothers me about what this other couple is doing to our listener is 
that they're not saying something like, oh, we would, you know, it would be great if we could invite our daughter and grandson along too, you know, because you could respond to that. You could say, oh, we were sort of hoping to keep it to just us tonight, which is something people do. It's something people say. And it is an indication that, hey, we, we were looking to not have a larger dinner. We were looking to keep it to just the four of us. And I think that that's all right. Every now and again, including the others is great. But I also don't feel like this couple, our listeners, need to be subjected to hanging out with people they're not interested in hanging out with. Absolutely not. And that's where you've got that freedom to say no if it's something you're not interested in, if you've got enough information to make that choice. Absolutely. Bothered and bewildered, thank you so much for writing in. This is a really tough question, and we hope that you have some easy dinners with your friends out in the future. Well, listen, I felt that way once, but honest, Joe's such a good guy that after you really get to know him, you'll know he isn't conceited. Come on along, Saturday. Joe will like you, and you'll like him. Well, okay. Our next question is about parents of the groom and bride and the wedding program. Hello. I would greatly appreciate if you can address this question. My fiancé's father died when she was younger, and her mom has not remarried. Her mother will be listed alone under parent of the bride in the wedding program and shares the same last name as her daughter and deceased ex-husband. My father died five years ago. My parents never divorced, but my mom is now remarried. My mom did not keep our family name in her new name. I see three options for how to address her. Parent of the groom, colon, Mrs. Laura Hall. Parent of the groom, colon, Mrs. Laura Hall, comma, escorted by her husband, comma, Mr. Randall Hall. Third option. Parent of the groom, colon, Mr. and Mrs. Randall Hall. Since they remarried so late in life, I don't view my mom's husband as a parent and would prefer he not be addressed that way. Please let me know if you have any other thoughts. Thank you, Anonymous. So first of all, having just spent two days, and I know you spent closer to a week at the National Stationery Show, this question feels very relevant. Totally. We took a lot of questions about how to build and structure invitations, how to address people, how to address invitations, and this is some complicated thinking about how to build an invitation to communicate everything that you want it to communicate with a real economy of language. And just as a reminder, this is actually for the program, not the invitation itself. But, you know, people could could see this going elsewhere as well. Good clarification. Big picture, I'm thinking that it really is up to you in a lot of ways. Okay. That your feelings about your relationship with your mother and your stepfather are your feelings and that's that's something that you're free to choose and to express. I also think that it would be a really good idea to talk to your mother about this that whenever you're asking yourself a question about how to address someone a core piece of etiquette is how do they want to be addressed? Like a majorly core piece of etiquette. <laughs> so while you have some choice here, it's also really important to engage everybody who's going to be represented. Of the options that you gave, I think that the second option, it comes the closest to communicating what it is you've expressed that you want to communicate. That's the option that is parent of the groom, colon, Mrs. Laura Hall, escorted by her husband, Mr. Randall Hall. There's nothing technically incorrect about this, and it does start to define all of the major players. So for me, I felt like that second option was also, of of the three, probably the best given the fact that... Our uh, question asker said that they don't feel like the stepfather is a parent. It certainly represents that. But I also think that because of the way it's structured, it shows that really apparently that you you want to push him away. It, escorted by her husband, not my father. Like you know, it's like there's this subtle potential for people to read into it that way. I hear what you're saying. I had a thought on this to adjust rather than the names. What if we adjust the front end of this? Because both of the folks who are getting married in this question have sadly lost their fathers. So what if rather than parent of the groom, what if we went with mother of the groom, Mrs. Laura Hall, mother of the bride, 
whoever, whoever. And that way, we're not even worried about addressing the issue of, you know, who the other parent may be or who the stepfather may be, that sort of a situation. I think that for me, that would be how I would handle it. The other thing that you could do is that you could say, mother of the groom, Laura Hall escorted by Randall Hall, rather than saying by her husband, Randall Hall. And I think that that just pulls out that kind of identifier a little bit. That, however, takes the misses out of the title, which I personally like. Um, I like getting back to people's names as opposed to having to use titles. But that's just me. The formality of your program and your invitation and your wedding might dictate that you use those titles, Mr. and Mrs. I like having more options. I like these options four and five. And I am particularly appreciating the way you're able to remove the her husband distinction because it does feel like that. It's almost it's not extraneous information, but by pointing it out, you almost sort of call attention to what you're not doing. Right. Which is listing them as a married couple just flat out. And I'm not certain that the that the Laura Hall escorted by Randall Hall or if you did it, Mrs. Laura Hall escorted by Mr. Randall Hall. I don't think that it would indicate that they were brother and sister, but it does start to veer in that direction a little bit because we've removed the husband part of it. So it's it's a little bit dicey, and it is why I think your first point, Dan, of talking to mom about it is really important if we decide to include the line escorted by in that section. But I don't think you technically need to. Because it is a program and not the invitation, I think that latitude around use of titles is also appropriate. You're not necessarily going for the most formal, we absolutely have to hit all these marks kind of thinking. It's it's a program that's descriptive about what's going on that's helping people navigate the event. So you, you do have some latitude in your decision making. Mom also doesn't have to be technically escorted down the aisle. Moms can walk down the aisle on their own should they choose. That's just another thing to throw out there just to really give us multiple options in here if we're worried about, oh, but everyone's going to see mom in the program and then wonder, who's that guy on her arm? <laughs> I don't I don't technically think that's what's going to happen. But certainly, Anonymous, you have lots of options to work with here. And remember, do check with your mom to get her input, too. I find the title of our last question kind of funny in a dry Vermont humor way. (laughs) You're just not pleasant. (laughs) Hello. I have a conundrum and need advice, please. My mother interrupts and talks over everyone. I don't enjoy spending time with her because it's constant. Her tone of voice is condescending and I have a difficult time not reacting to it. Should I try to just ignore it or talk to her about it? Is it rude to point out my mother's rudeness? I love this question. Our relationships with our parents change over time. Our parents can change over time. And there is a tendency sometimes for folks to, depending on what's going on in their life, to potentially have this kind of a behavioral change where they start talking over people or everything comes out with a really agitated or snappy tone to it. And at some point, I think regardless of the family dynamic, you do get to say something about it. I think this is a great time to execute the good old when you I feel moments. Mom, when you talk over everyone, I really feel like I can't concentrate on the conversation. Or, Mom, I'm not sure that you're aware that you're doing this, but I've seen it happen frequently. It's kind of a new behavior for you. I wanted to point it out because I figure we're close and I was a safe person to do this with you. I think that those are the kinds of ways you can address it. Anytime we address someone else's behavior, however, we have to be prepared for them to react negatively, even if it's just negatively at first. Um, they, in fact, might even react negatively and be rude about it back to you. But it's it's uh, they can't unhear it. And that's the big thing is that they can't unhear the fact that you're not experiencing a good time with them when they are doing these behaviors, when they're when they're making this happen. Sometimes it's these relationships that are so close that are the most difficult or present the biggest challenges if you're talking about breaking habits or changing behaviors. It's precisely that closeness, that intimacy, that familiarity that has us operating in grooves and channels that are the most established in terms of our behaviors, which oftentimes means it's unconscious. 
It's things that are happening on a level that's that's a very deep part of who we are and it makes it hard to be aware necessarily of what you're doing and also to make changes if you do become aware. So I would be prepared for there to be some challenge (laughs) around both of those things, both being heard and actually doing anything about it if you are hurt. And that doesn't mean it's hopeless. That doesn't mean don't do it. In fact, it probably means it's more important. It probably means that it's going to take a little effort, but that it's worthwhile because this is a relationship that matters. It's important. It's ongoing. It's going to continue if you're lucky and fortunate. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. My, My mother and I actually were noticing this in our own speech recently, and we've been doing a lot of work with my dad around my house. And Mom was helping me clean up the kitchen the other day and dad was going to go out to go get something. And there was kind of a snappy response. And it took her a minute to be like, I'm I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Like, I just I'm in my own brain right now. And it's really interesting when we're able to self-correct how powerful that is and what an impact that makes on the people around us to be forgiving and understanding of our behavior. But when we're not it really does start to build in terms of the agitation that someone else feels about their desire to hang out with or be around you. And we can see this here with this mother and daughter. So I do think addressing it is is going to be important to that mother-daughter relationship. Remind yourself how you would want to be talked to. Be explicit about your good intentions. Mom, I'm bringing this up because I care about you and I care about our relationships. Don't Expect her to understand that. Make that a part of the way you introduce the conversation. Ask permission to have the conversation. Mom, there's something I've been wanting to talk to you about. Is now a good time. Do you have a minute? Yeah. Could we sit down for a second? (laughs) All of the things that we talk about for having difficult conversations can play in here. And it might not be a really difficult conversation. It might just be about mentioning it and then mom can self-correct. It might be part of a longer conversation. Be willing to make some changes yourself if your mother says, well, you never listened to me or that you're prepared for a little back and forth. You're prepared to negotiate as well as to talk about what it is that's been bothering you. Anonymous, it's not rude to point out your mother's rudeness. It's all about how you do it. And it could even be something that you do that really shows her how much you care about the relationship. Those are just some of the things that mother has to do. No wonder she's often tired at the end of the day. It seems mother never stops working for the family. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates, comments, or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can also leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Instagram, we are at Emily Post Institute. And on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. On Twitter, we are at Emily Post Inst. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette in your post so that we know you want your question, comment, or feedback on the show. It's time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And today we hear from Anonymous. On episode 254, Tupperware Etiquette, Anonymous begins. I had to share something that I do that could help this situation as I too am someone who also loves reusable items instead of disposable. I have purchased collapsible silicone food containers that fit easily in my car that I can also pop in my purse and carry in with me to restaurants to use as a to-go box instead of using disposable ones. I think keeping Tupperware or something easy and affordable like these in the car would be a great solution for this question. I know the listener mentioned it might become suspicious to happen to have one in the car for these meals— But mentioning your zero-waste interests and how you always keep these in your car for any occasion during normal conversation and, again, when it comes time to divvy up leftovers, would also be a great way to not make it so awkward. If worse comes to worse, aluminum foil is 100% recyclable, unlike plastics, so you can feel better about requesting foil over plastic wrap. I like this feedback. I do, too. As Dan knows, I'm a huge fan of the the aluminum foil. (laughs) I also love the honesty that if you carry these things all the time, you can say, I carry these things all the time. Absolutely. (laughs) 
I also wanted to share a little piece of Tupperware etiquette I learned this last week. It's a regional courtesy. Oh, yeah? When you return a casserole dish or Tupperware or anything in the South, the courtesy is that you return it with something in it. Oh, I have heard of this before. Yes. And Whereas up here, that is like not what we do at all. Speaking of, Dan, still waiting for my mason jars back. Which are all queued <laughs> up in my meal train food returns containers pile. Lineup? <laughs> I'm just teasing you, dude. Pooch mentioned it the other day, which is a little bit why I'm, I don't want to say triggered, but why I was a quick to respond. <laughs> I like it. I love the idea of returning things with something in them, even if it's a like a token thing. Someone mentioned you could just put like a Werther's original in it. That's or so cute. You put a little something in it so that you give it back full. I thought it was adorable. Don't feel like you have to do that with me, your cuz, but I like the sentiment. Anonymous, thank you for this tip. And I'm definitely going to look into collapsible silicon food containers. Thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. And please keep them coming. You can send your comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today we're going to talk about methods of communication in business when reaching out. And while oftentimes I will take the lead on business etiquette topics, today this postscript is going to be led by Lizzie Post. Absolutely. This is something I've started to notice as a trend in that people are often turning to any method that they first discover in terms of contacting a business contact rather than seeking out the best methods. And so this is definitely coming from both my own experience and from others' experience that I've been hearing about lately. This is a topic that has come up in the world of business repeatedly. And I was curious in my own mind whether or not it was something that had changed or not. And I was really curious to hear your thoughts on this. So – I'm thinking about things like typically in the business world, before we had any kind of digital communication, a phone call or a written letter were the two most popular ways to reach out to someone. And that written letter was often the the thing that gave people space to respond, whereas the phone call would interrupt someone's day, but was also very appropriate because it was the modern method of communication. Nowadays, we have email, we have phone, we have text, we have written letters, we have any form of direct message or personal message via a social media account. And we also have communication systems that our businesses actually engage, something like Slack, uh, where you can get instant messages to one another. So there are a range of options. And I have been noticing that the default in our world lately has been to go to someone's social media account and to DM or personal message them. And I would really like to remind people that there are better options. And when you're not sure whether someone's account is just their personal account or their personal slash business account, it's really best to seek out those other options whenever possible. So the first method I want to talk about was email. And this is always an appropriate starting place. Email doesn't interrupt someone's day like a phone call might. It's less personal than a text message would be. And in the world of business, it's considered the most appropriate way to first approach somebody. I just want to second this with a here here. Absolutely. Email is a great option. If you can get someone's email address use it. That's an invitation to do business. Now, if you can't get someone's email address, I think it's equally as important to try to seek out that info at, you know, for us, it would be info at emilypost.com address, and then state your request and ask to be forwarded to whomever it would be that would address the request. It's really, honestly, if you're kind of cold calling someone, but not actually using the telephone to cold call, it's the best way to get in touch with someone. Now, I understand that it might might sometimes be a slower method of communication if email isn't checked over the weekend or something like that. However, I think that it is less demanding of the other person's time and it is the appropriate first option you should be trying to go to. Please remember that you can go to people's websites. You can often, via their social media accounts, get the email address to reach out to them at. And these would be the preferable methods to go through. Phone call. 
The phone has the potential to interrupt someone's workday because so many people are often working off of an actual cell phone. It also has the potential to interrupt other calls that they are on, depending on how they have set up their personal use of that device. So I think you want to be sure that your call would be welcome. That being said, many people have gotten pretty far in business by simply picking up the phone and giving someone a call. We certainly hear that at the Emily Post Institute. Being two people, we are not always able. Able to accommodate those phone calls. However, it's worth mentioning that sort of the the gusto and the guts that it takes to do that is actually sometimes really appreciated in the business world, particularly if you can find a listed work number. Absolutely. If if there's a number that's available on a website, it's definitely something you want to think about in terms of how demanding you are of someone's time once you get through. But there is a certain invitation to make that call when a number has been provided as part of someone's contact information. Absolutely. And one of the things that we love about the phone call is that it allows the communication to happen faster. Rather than sending four or five scheduling emails back and forth, boom, one phone call, we're good to go. So I don't want to discourage people from using the phone. It's still a really appropriate way. But just take a minute to realize when you call someone that you may be interrupting their day. They may have other things scheduled. And even though they might take the phone call, they might need to keep it very short and very quick. So just schedule time for that longer, more inviting phone call. I can think of another example that happened that same day where a call came in and I found myself telling that person, could you please send an email to this address and we'll get a back and forth going and we'll get you in our system. That way it'll be the best way to proceed. So you could get either answer. Absolutely. Next up is text message. Now, I personally believe that text should only be used if you know the person well and have been given permission to text them. One, it lets you know that the number that you're texting to is a working number that can receive text messages. But two, I find texting more personal. You're I not alone. really do. It's there's something about it that demands an immediacy because it's coming to my phone. I know that a lot of people have their email on their phone set up so that they can see messages right as they come in. I am one of those people. But for some reason, it's a lot easier for me to ignore and put off or wait on an email that I see coming in than it is for me to do so with a text message. Now, this might just be personal preference, so I'm looking for a little bit of audience feedback here. But I think that text message should be considered something that you wait until you've been given permission to use this form of communication with somebody. I like that advice. And oftentimes when I'm heading out on the road and I'm going to be away from my computer, I'll let my contact know at an event. This is my phone number. Please feel free to call or text anytime. I, I make an effort to explicitly give that permission for just those reasons. Absolutely. Instant message. Okay, so this comes in a lot of ways. Either there's instant message, which I'm thinking of more like DMs, personal messages that come through your social media accounts. Uh, Instant Messenger is an entire app outside of Facebook that's connected to Facebook. I will say that if you are a business contact, not a personal contact of someone, and that the page that you are finding them on via social media is somewhat a personal page of theirs, even if they talk about business on it, if it isn't specifically their company page. So if you're looking at the Emily Post Institute Facebook page, of course, send us direct messages there. In fact, tag them awesome etiquette so that we know you want your question or comment or feedback on the show. Listen to that. But if you are looking at the Lizzie Post Facebook page, that really is my personal page. And even if my privacy settings are allowing you to see that page, I am likely not interested in receiving business contacts on that space. And it's really important, especially if you do your first outreach to someone in that space, maybe that does feel like it's the only way that you can get to someone. Bear in mind, they probably have a website that you can go access. However, if this feels like it's the only way or if their website has no contact information on it, start your first message with, I'm so sorry to reach out to you in a personal forum. However, I would love to get your email, get the best contact for you to start a business conversation. That's really important. I will say that I recently had someone who I let know that I prefer doing business via email and through these other channels know that and then have repeatedly been receiving the Facebook messages from them. They don't listen to the podcast, so I'm not too worried about it. But it really, really frustrated me because to me, that is a personal space for me. It is not a place where I'm looking to engage with business. It's also creating 
a whole other medium that I have to now pay attention to when dealing with business contacts or when dealing with this particular business contact. We also see this with Twitter and Instagram accounts where people will often leave in a comment or they'll put up a tweet to someone that says, I'd like to reach you about such and such for business. I don't mind the ones that say, please DM me to carry on this, you know, to continue the conversation or to get the best method of communication going. But I do think that when folks have, again, websites that have their contact information on it, you need to take the time to go to those. Just simply using the easiest method for you comes across as just that. It comes across as I don't need to take the time to go use the contact information that you've set up elsewhere. Instead, I just want my need met right now. Bear in mind, when you make something like a public post to someone's wall or a public post to their feed that requests information from them, you are making that entire communication back and forth public. And that might not be comfortable for that person. So it's really important to use these methods as an absolute last resort. Use it when you've already used the info at somebody's website or you've already gone through the channels on their website and something's not working. There, You aren't getting a response to the message. And it's been long enough that it's really appropriate to start seeking out other ways of finding them. I was so curious your thoughts about social media for business, because I'm aware that more and more business is going on on these platforms. Absolutely. And how we navigate the public-private divide and make intelligent choices in this world where social media is both a personal and a professional medium for people, I think is, is really rich etiquette territory. And my feelings are very similar to yours in terms of the more personal, the more intimate communications you want to take so much care with. I I agree with you that texting feels very personal. And there are all kinds of reasons for that we can talk about. But it's also true of social media. Oftentimes those are online spaces where we conduct a lot of really personal business. And it can be jarring or it can feel intrusive when business starts to enter those spaces and operating intelligently when we make choices about how we transgress, I think is an important thing. I think it's also important to recognize that professional accounts have their own sets of rules. Absolutely. Figuring out how to have your antenna out and figure out, is this a group page? Is this a professional page? Is this a professional account? Or is this someone's personal business and personal life that I'm Finding myself interacting with. And if it's a little bit of the mix like we have, we have, for instance, professional accounts for Emily Post uh, Twitter and for Emily Post and for Higher Etiquette on Instagram. And those would be the appropriate places to be reaching out. But the reach out should typically say something like, reaching out here would love to know the proper channel to be doing business with you through. Um Also, remember that on people's Instagram accounts, they also have, or most typically, especially if it's for a business, there's actually an email, um, I guess, button that you can, an email link that you can click right on that profile page if they've provided an email address for that account. And that is the most appropriate way to get in touch with someone via Instagram for a business deal that you're looking to do. If you just want to say, hey, if you just want to interact with that account, a lot of you send us questions on the Instagram account. That's a perfect way to do that. That is an absolutely perfect way to do that. But if you were looking to start a partnership or do an interview or something like that, we have other channels and other email addresses for that. And even just using the email that's provided on the Instagram account, it's a step more in the direction of professionally connecting with someone um, as opposed to just using the easiest medium available to you. Now, the other thing that I want to address is Slack, because this is a place where you should feel 100% comfortable interacting with other teams in your company, interacting with folks in your department. And that is, it's completely set up internally for your business to be able to manage projects and keep lines of communication going. And I think that that's one where you just should feel completely appropriate doing so. Lizzie Post, thank you for this dive into business communication. Well, thank you for talking about it with me. I hope it didn't sound too much like a personal rant, but it was something I was really noticing because one of the other problems with it that I found was that it was starting to make me work at hours that weren't my work hours. Now, 
I need to be better about looking at those messages and just ignoring them until that Monday morning starts again so that I get the time and space I need. But I was really surprised at how much I felt the pressure to respond once I had seen something and once I had honestly known that a request was being made of me. There is a certain courtesy about how we ask for attention that can use some updating as all of our options continue to grow. These words are important when you are using the telephone. They will help you to be kind and considerate of other people. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today, we hear from Jenna. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I have an etiquette salute. Two days ago, I was working in my garden while listening to several episodes of Awesome Etiquette. I love getting to chat with neighbors and other people passing by while I work, as well as the chance to listen to podcasts and audiobooks. I've recently picked up some new earbuds to make the switch between these two happen more easily. Typically, I'll pause what I'm listening to and take my earbuds out so I can have a conversation. However, I haven't gotten the knack down with these new ones yet, and I left them in as I went to meet my mailman and pick up our mail. I was expecting a brief hello and thank you conversation. However, he asked something which I thought was, how are you doing today? It wasn't. When I answered the question I thought he'd asked, he smiled and made a gentle motion toward his own ear, letting me know he could tell I still had the earphones in. It wasn't reproachful at all. Then he asked his question again. I had to admit with a sheepish laugh that I was listening to my favorite podcast, (laughs) Awesome Etiquette. He laughed a little bit and said he'd have to add it to his list. (laughs) I really appreciated his good humor and his desire to engage with the community he works in, as well as the reminder to myself of how important it is to remove those earbuds. Thanks to the fantastic Seattle postal worker who takes a real interest in connecting with people. And thanks to you two for the wonderful podcast. Thank you, Jenna, so much. This is a great etiquette salute that kind of starts with like a slight... Uh, etiquette faux pas totally the way that he handled it and handled it in a way that made you feel good and connected and reminded you about best practices while you're listening to awesome etiquette is hysterical and heartwarming thank you for sharing And thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something. Please connect with us and share this show with friends, family, and coworkers on social media. You can send us questions, comments, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquetteatemilypost.com. You can reach us by phone to leave a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at Emily Post Inst, that's I-N-S-T, and at Lizzie A. Post, that's Lizzie with an I-E. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. And we will happily accept your DMs there. On Instagram, we are at Emily Post Institute. Please consider becoming a sustaining member by visiting awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com. You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks Chris, Chris and Bridget. Bridget.